Wow, thank you very much. Um, very nice, great to be back here um, at Cornerstone and I have so many memories. And I gotta tell you, you know, just uh, being on the East Coast and going at lots of different churches over the past you know, several years, this church really, as far as cutting edge and creativity, um, second to none. And the ability to take that and, and access so much of the population, it's an amazing thing to pull off. So I, I'm just humbled when I come and, and proud of what's happened and, and feel fortunate to have been a part of the early chapters of this church's story. And I know it's, it's a book that's not even near done. So great to be here. Um, Pastor Terry uh, mentioned the series, Hero of the Faith. Heroes in the Faith to me a, a while back, and he said, hey, won't you come out and do uh, week six, which is today, obviously. And, um, you know, my first thought was, okay, week six, that means there's five other weeks before mine. That means, I was thinking like an NBA draft pick kind of thing. That means I get the sixth pick, you know. And it's only Old Testament, so I said, okay, uh, no way I'll get Moses, you know. And, you know, Pastor Lewis scarfed him up, you know. With the home, home court advantage. And I'm thinking, okay, well, Abraham, Noah, Elijah, there's no way I'll get any of those guys. I'm six, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm going to get stuck with the talking donkey, you know, As, um, which might be a fun, fun message, you know. Here's the fate, the talking donkey <laughs> by Ron. But uh, I talked to him more recently, and I said, hey, is David available, you know? And he said, yeah, man, take David. And I was like, wow, I get David at six? <laughs> so I was like, amazing. It's like... Wow, that's like the Warriors getting Kevin Durant, you know? It's like, <laughs> how did that happen, right? <laughs> All right, I, I do love David I, and always have. He's a true hero of the faith. And it's a great time to talk about heroes because um, think about the movies out today. All the superhero movies, they're, they're crushing it. You know, they're just, people flock to superhero movies. And I think part of that is... Um, because of what Pastor Terry brought up. I mean, it, it's a crazy world out there right now. And a sociologist, Mark Miller, said this about movies. He said, when times are most difficult, people want and need heroes. And when times are good, they don't. I thought, wow, well, times are definitely tough right now. And, and I, I thought about, you know, Israel and, and biblically reading about Israel. When times were bad, they would cling to God. When times were good, they kind of lost their way. And I took it a step further, and I was like, you know, I'm kind of like that. When times are bad, I definitely I cling to Jesus more. And when times are really good, often my priorities can get out of whack. So it's a good time to talk about heroes. And um, unlike superheroes, though, these heroes aren't fake. You know, this isn't make-believe. This is real, he real stuff, real heroes who served a real God. And John Eldridge talked about this uh, in a quote that's on your handout, if you can follow along with me. He said this about heroes and stories. Mythic stories help us to see clearly, which is to say, they help us to see with the eyes of the heart. So cast a wide net and draw in all those stories that have ever steered your soul, quickened your spirit, brought you to tears or joy or heroic imagination. So I hope to fire up your heroic imagination today by looking at four simple habits of the hero David. These four habits, don't worry, you know, it's not like uh, you got to you know, work out four hours a day to be a hero like David, or you gotta master the slingshot, or you gotta memorize you know, a book of the Bible every week. Nothing like that. Four very doable habits that can make you influential, uh, even inspirational or, or heroic to those people around you. And as we highlight these habits, let me just say this. You know, we're gonna talk about a lot of significant events in the life of David, so we're gonna meet a lot of different 
characters from the Bible. Um, it's kind of a broad look to pull out these four habits. So, so hang with me, you know, and, and we'll talk about all these different great stories about David. First of all, if you didn't know, David was a powerful warrior, a charismatic and visionary leader, and a man who inspired other strong and capable leaders to not only join him, but to follow him. He was also a prolific poet. He was a musician. Uh, he was a man who loved deeply and loved passionately. He was a man of creativity and uh, aesthetic sensitivities. I mean, he, he just had it all. You know, if you gave him a personality test, he would score high in like every single category. You rarely find or meet a person like that. And the first habit we want to look at in David's life was his habit of faith. Faith is a habit. Faith is a discipline. Faith is something like learning an instrument or, or working on a sport, you know, it's something that you practice and, to get better and better at. And that's how faith is. See, in life we can get so comfortable or, or secure or predictable that the need for faith can decrease and decrease to the point that it, it doesn't even get exercised anymore. So we need to live lives that require an element of faith. Faith in God, that is. And, and, and that's how our faith in God grows. And in the life of David, we see a hero who bat the farm again and again and again because of his faith in God. He took leaps of faith. No matter how high his position, no matter how much his abundant his possessions, he would take leaps of faith for God because he, he was so confident that God would do what he said he was going to do. Now, in saying that, I'm not saying that faith means take crazy chances or crazy risks. In fact, Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith for us. It says this, Now, faith is confidence and what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. Confidence in what we hope for, an assurance in what we do not see. And see, when you're involved in something where you know the outcome, you walk through that situation differently. And a few years back, I was going to watch a big basketball game. I was recording the game, right? And so I was at work, and I'm like, don't tell me who wins the game. I don't want to hear it. I'm watching it after work, right? So... I'm getting ready to leave work, and this so-called friend of mine says, you're going to like the game, you know, and he, <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, you didn't just do that, you know, and so, but part of me was excited, so I go home to watch the game, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to like the game after he said that, right? So, cue the game up, start watching, we have a couple turnovers early, no big deal, right? Didn't, I'm surprisingly calm. <laughs> we get down by 14, that's okay, guys, we got them, hang in there, we got this, you know? Star player gets injured, goes out. That's all right. Other guys got to step it up, you know? So I watched the game differently because I was pretty sure we had this one. There's an expression in the Bible called walking in victory. I was watching in victory, right? <laughs> I didn't throw anything at the TV. There were no loud expressions <laughs> because I knew we had this one. And that's what faith is, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, speaking of basketball, um, there's an element of faith in trash talking. A lot of trash talking out there among athletes. And there's an element of faith in it. Um, is it too soon to talk about the Warriors? Is it too raw? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive. <laughs> you know, someone said comedy is tragedy plus time. And there may not have been enough time here based on what I'm feeling. I think there's not quite enough time. So I'm going to tread lightly here. Let me just say this. They had the best regular season ever. 
They got the best player in the league. They got the best backcourt in the league. Now they got Durant. Um, and they also have, you may not know, the best trash talker in the league, right? Draymond Green. Google it, pull it up. He'll be at the top of the list. Top tra trash talkers, Draymond Green. And he said this, he said, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm arrogant, I'm just confident. I wouldn't say I'm arrogant, just confident. Now the funny thing is, faith is never arrogant. Faith is just confident, we just defined it. And some of the earliest, most accomplished trash talkers were David and Goliath. That's right, you heard it here first. <laughs> See, Goliath had faith that he was gonna win. David had faith that God was going to win. And see, here's, here's the situation. Um, you got two armies. You got Israelis on one side and the, uh, the Philistines on another side and a valley in the middle. Goliath would come out every day, go into the valley, and taunt the armies of the living God. He would say, if you're the armies of the living God, come down and fight me. You bunch of wimps. Come on, send someone down. Yeah, I defy the armies of the living God. And so everyone would hear this day after day after day after day, but nobody would do anything about it. Now David, who was only like 14, 15 at this time, his dad sends him to bring uh, some food for his brothers in the army. So he goes there and he hears Goliath. He hears this stuff. And he's like enraged. He's like, we can't let him talk about God like that. You know, no one's going to fight him. I'll fight him. I'll go down there and fight him. So David, this 15-year-old, goes down to fight him, right? And then the trash talking begins. Goliath says this, I defy the armies of Israel. And then he curses David, right? I'm not going to repeat what he said. He curses David, then said, come here, I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Ooh, okay. Now David responds, you can, it's in your handout, you can follow along. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. Whoa. Advantage David, right? Can you imagine if Raymond Green had said that to LeBron James? <laughs> Might have turned out differently, I'm just saying. <laughs> or he would have got suspended for like a full year, something like that. All right, but David, you know, he's just simply expressing his faith in God. He, he's not, you know, he's, it's not really trash. He's just expressing what he knows to be true. Goliath just says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. David's saying, God's gonna, God's gonna, God's gonna. See, that's heroic faith. I'm not gonna give the ending away to the story. Well, you can read about it, but let's just say this. The slingshot didn't win the battle that day. The sword didn't win the battle that day. Faith won the battle that day. Heroic faith. Philip Yancey said this. He's a, a prolific writer. He said, faith is believing in advance what only makes sense in reverse. Believing in advance what only makes sense in reverse. And see, it was hard to believe in advance that this skinny boy was going to go out and take down this seasoned warrior, the seasoned gladiator. Hard to believe that. Um, Pastor Terry, uh, back when I was here, back in the 20th century, <laughs> um, he shared this, and I've never forgotten that he talked about, he had a tapestry, he showed the back of it, and it's just a, a jumbled, jarbled mess of colors and stuff. You don't know what it is, right? It's just a big mess. Then he flipped it over, and it showed this beautiful piece of art. And that's what our lives are. You know, we can't figure out what's going on, and we're trying to believe in advance, right? What only makes sense in reverse. 
But that's how it works out. You know, God is with us. He's making something out of this mess. We just got to stay the course with him. Okay? The other thing about faith is faith covers our flaws. It's not a license to have faults and flaws, um, but it does cover them. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible, and, and Father Abraham, as he's called, he's the, the father of the faith. Um, very sketchy guy. <laughs> did some squirrely things, <laughs> as all of them did. Pastor Terry mentioned at the outset of the series that all these men are flawed in major ways. All the heroes of the faith in the Bible are flawed in major ways. Um, but God still uses them. In the case of Abraham, he had such a belief that God was going to be true to what he said. He, he, he left home and family, left his, left his country, just again and again and again did whatever God asked him to do. And so his faith was counted as righteousness. Not his behavior, not his decision making, but his faith. And it was the same with David. So that's faith. Um, oh, one more thing about faith. You've got, you got to have faith in the right thing. It's not just faith. It's faith in the right thing. It's faith in the real and living God. Okay? Um, my mother-in-law, she, um, God rest her soul, she was 75 when this event happened. She went to the medicine cabinet wanting to get some Visine. And so, also lurking in the medicine cabinet was some super glue, right? Okay, but you can, you can tell the difference. But now let's, let's apply the 75-year-old Grandma Vision goggles. And uh, yeah, okay. Now for some of you that didn't even change, right? <laughs> Me included, I'm like, put the side up. Uh, <laughs> they're like, it's up. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so now it's not, you're going to the medicine cabinet and you're, you're reaching in for the Visine and you pull out the wrong thing. And you have full faith in, the, in this thing that it's going to heal the itch in your eye. And so you, you apply it to your eye and you know where this is going, right? So, um, yeah, I, I thought it was funny. I, you know, I guess I have a dark sense of humor. <laughs> I was like, you did what? You got super glue? <laughs> but the thing is, guys, with faith, we've got to have faith in the real thing. And there's lots of counterfeits that look so close. Fool's gold that looks so close. So you've got to be really careful as to what you have faith in, or you'll have faith in the wrong thing. Okay, number one, faith. Number two, habit of the hero David that we want to follow and emulate is repentance. Repentance needs to be a regular part of our life because we are all flawed people that make mistakes. Now that's kind of a churchy word. Um, just a quick uh, kind of definition of what repentance is. You know, it's, it's a two-step process. It means turning away from what we're doing that, that we know falls short of the mark that God has for us and turning to God. Turn away from what we're doing that we know is wrong and turning to God. Okay? Sounds easy. Not easy. Why is it not easy? We turn away from what we're doing and we find something else. Oh, I'll just I'll do this for a while, right? Or we turn to God, hey God, but we're still doing the thing here. So it takes heroic proactivity to truly repent, turn away from the thing you're doing and turn to God, to what you know He wants you to do. So that's repentance. Now, it's just as much about what happens to us if we don't do that as to when we do that makes us heroic. If we don't do that, often the, the guilt and the condemnation that we bring upon ourselves, it prevents us from, from living out heroic lives for God or, or doing things for other people that we're called to do or, or even, even ourselves. So we can't live a bold life of faith if we're under condemnation. So repentance is key. 
gonna look at an example in David's life, and there's a few, but this is one you, you may have heard of, David and Bathsheba. And uh, you know, David, he, he's king, um, he messes up with Bathsheba, and he tries to cover his tracks in, in several different ways, and it just, the mess just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Ultimately, he has her husband killed uh, on, with the army, and, and he, after her grieving period, he marries her, okay? So this is about a year later, and so often in, in life, we, we, we think, okay, that, that's done, that's, I'm, I'm okay, you know, nothing happened there. <laughs> well, God sends the prophet Nathan to talk to David one day, and then they had a relationship. They've, they've talked before, you can read about that, but he sends Nathan to talk to David, and Nathan says, hey, David, I gotta tell you about something, and uh, Dave's like, what's up? And he goes, well, there's this rich guy, and he's got all this livestock. He's got cattle, sheep, lamb. And his neighbor is a poor guy, and he's just got this one lamb. And he's raised this lamb since it was a baby. And he loves this lamb like, like a child, and the kids love the lamb. It's like a sibling. So he's part of the family. Well, the rich man gets a, an out-of-town visitor. And in this culture, it was almost obligatory. If you had a visitor, um, you had to, to put them up and feed them for the night. It's just the way the culture was. So the rich man takes the out-of-towner in, and when he goes to prepare the food, he doesn't use one of his sheep or cow or lamb. He uses the poor man's lamb. And David, upon hearing this, is livid. He's like, what? That, that man should be killed. He should pay back four times for the loss of the poor man. And Nathan says, David, you are the man. You are the man. You are the rich man. I see, not like you are the man in a good way, you know? Like the Bible, that's where the Bible, that's, that's right there, you are the man. But he says, you are the man. And then he says this, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives and your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had not been enough, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife, Bathsheba, to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Upon hearing this, David just says, I have sinned against the Lord. The very next line, Nathan says, the Lord has taken away your sin. Amazing. I think God and, and even Nathan saw that David was genuine with that very simple response. That, that was repentance. That was confession and repentance. I have sinned against the Lord. And see, confession, I mentioned, it's simply seeing things as God sees them. And when Nathan laid all this stuff out through that metaphor, David saw it as God saw it. And he repented at that point. Now, again, why is this heroic? Let's look at the other option. If we don't repent, we're left with this feeling of regret. We can't shake that. That's how God wired us. See, a bad feeling doesn't lead to changed lives. Regret looks to the past. Repentance looks to the future and God. Regret leaves us feeling condemned. Repentance says, with God, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. Regret plagues your heart with guilt. Repentance says, if your hearts condemn you, God is greater than your heart, and God knows everything. He knows everything, 1 John 3, 20. 
So in this case, his repentance, which was also preceded by confession, was simply this. Hey, I'm going the wrong way. I now see that. I now see this as God sees it. I want to change direction. Repentance. And David had to do that several times throughout his life that we can read about, as we will have to do several times as well. It's a habit of a hero. A couple weeks ago, um, I called a buddy of mine and uh, I said, hey man, let's go work out. I try to work out at least once a year. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> so he said, hey, let's do it, right? So um, I go by there, and he goes, oh, man, I forgot to call you. I, I can't do it. I got a couple coming over. He's a counselor. And uh, I, I said, man, they're, they're, like, they're on the way. They'll be here any minute. I was like, hey, no worries. Um, and I was wearing a suit because I'd been in a conference that day. And I said, hey, you, you mind if I um, change in here? He's like, yeah, no problem. Go ahead. And I had my gym bag. And then the door, you know, knock on the door. No, no, no. I was like, ah. And so this couple comes in. I meet him. And I could tell it was, it was a very serious situation. So I said, all right, you know, nice to meet you guys. I'll see you later. And, and Hank thoughtfully said, hey, you know, uh, you can change in the bathroom. Use the bathroom. I said, okay, cool. So I get my bag. As I'm leaving, um, right in the hallway, there's another office. And the door was open, no light on. And I thought, shoot, I'll just change in here, you know? So, so I go in there to change, you know, 90 seconds, two minutes tops, you know. Granted, I wasn't authorized to do it, but, uh, you know, I thought it'd be okay. Um, <laughs> So I do that. Now, we got a picture of a security camera here. And um, this isn't the camera, but if you guys have seen those, you know, that's what a security camera looks like. And Hank has one in his office. So I see Hank like a week later. And um, he's like, man, you had us cracking up last week. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to think, you know, was I at a party or something, just killing it, you know, just being the life, telling jokes and stuff. And I was like, I don't remember that. Um, I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, last week when I told you to use the bathroom, but you used my partner's office? And I was like, ugh, you know, busted. I mean, that's a bad feeling, <laughs> which got worse. <laughs> so I said, oh, yeah, um, I'm sorry about that. He goes, no, no, it actually, it was funny. He goes, you know, it was a very serious situation, and, and, and my video's up there, and the husband says, your, your, your buddy's taking off his clothes. <laughs> so... Yeah, so anyway, it's, um, it's a benign example of, <laughs> I now saw things as God saw them, right? Um, I saw things as Hank saw them and, <laughs> and this couple. Um, but you know, I was kind of like, hey, I'll just do this myself. I know my instructions were that, but I'll do this. It's better for me. You know, a lot of self-centered things. And um, when I realized you know, how God saw this, uh, your immediate response is, wow, I'm sorry. You know, it's confession and repentance. So anyway, there you go. Little confession. All right. So that's number two, right? Um, now we're going to go to number three. We've got so far faith. David was a man of faith. Uh, repentance, that needs to be a regular part of life. Um, and then this, the next one is um, ownership. Ownership. David was an owner who owned his stuff. And by owned his stuff, I mean he owned his good stuff and he owned his bad stuff. If he messed up, he owned it. He'd say, my bad, right? He had skin in the game. He put it all on the line. We see that with Goliath. And when I say ownership, I'm referring mainly to his relationship with God. He owned it. He owned that. He took care of that. You know, if something was, was wrong there, he'd try to shore it up. He'd try to fix it. 
Now, some of the funniest things in the Bible for me are when people don't own their stuff. And the Bible is so true. It's, it's a warts and all book, and it, and it shows these things. Um, we go way back to the Garden of Eden with the fall of man, with the forbidden fruit, when Adam and Eve messed up, right? And uh, after that, God goes to Adam and says, Adam, what's going on? Adam says, hey, not me. <laughs> Eve, the woman, the woman you gave me, she made me eat, right? So he's not owning his stuff. Eve's like, whoa, the, the, the serpent, he deceived me. He's your guy, <laughs> right? They're not owning their stuff. The serpent's like, uh, hey, the devil made me do it, right? God's like, you are the devil. <laughs> so, but not owning the stuff. We see this, I think the best example probably is, is with Cain and Abel, you know, and it's um, Cain killed his brother Abel because he was so jealous of him. And God seeks him out afterward and says, hey, where's your brother Abel? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? He didn't own that relationship at all or his deeds. So it's easy to not own your stuff. And these guys did not own their stuff. I think about it like a car. You know, if you own a car versus renting a car. If you own the car, you take care of it. You know, you see the warning light come on, you get on that. You take care of what needs to be taken care of, right? You get a fender bender, you get it fixed. If you rent a car, not so much, right? You see a speed bump, as an owner, you slow down. Gently, right? Rent a car, you maintain your speed. <laughs> or accelerate. <laughs> We've all done it, right? So we gotta, we gotta own our stuff. Now I think about the relationship part of it. It's like with David and Goliath. Um, you know, Goliath is defying the armies of the living God. Nobody in the armies of, of Israel were, were owning their relationship with God. And th this isn't a matter of courage. You know, I know it's easy to say, well, they were afraid. You know, yeah, sure they were. But they weren't owning that relationship. It's like if someone says something about your mama, you know. It's like, don't you talk about my mama. There's no shortage of courage in that situation, right? It's like, no, I protect that relationship. You will not talk that way about that relationship. And that's how it should be with God, right? And that's how it was as far as David was concerned. We've got to be owners. Another aspect of ownership we see in 2 Samuel 7, in the handout, and follow along. It said, After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. And this is the ark. You know that movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? This is it. This is at this point in history where the ark was, right here in Israel, in a tent. And David was such an owner, again, it's kind of like some of these uh, rich professional athletes that, that buy their parents' mansions, you know, because they own that relationship. They want to do something nice. And that's how David was regarding his relationship with God. Versus, you know, if we're renting, we're like, hey, this is just a short-term thing. This will do for now. Uh, this will do until something better comes along. You know, that's like a renter's attitude. And that's the opposite of what God wants for us with him. And the Bible even has a few caveats to warn us about this renter attitude that we might have. And Jesus says a couple of things. He says, not everyone who calls out to me is going to enter into the kingdom. And that's not meant to, to scare us. It's meant to say, hey, are you just renting right now? Or are you owning? Helps us re-examine our faith. Am I a renter or an owner here? You know, he says, if you deny me before others, I'll deny you before the Father. And that's not a threat. It's just like, hey, if, if, you're, if you're not dying me, um, let's take another look at this. I want you to enjoy fully the benefits 
of a relationship with me. And be careful you're not just renting this. Make sense? That David was a man after God's own heart, the Bible tells us. He was an owner. And owning your faith can be heroic, not just for you, but for those around you. They see that. Okay, the last habit that we want to try to emulate and apply in our lives. Habit of giving. Christ followers should be quick to give and forgive. We're talking about both of those. Giving and forgiving. David, you read it throughout 2 Samuel and Chronicles, he was eager to give wherever he could. He, want, he looked for excuses to give. You know, what a great heart he had. I mean, he would give to other countries. Hey, just send them this, send them that. If they would uh, endure some kind of hardship, he would try to help them out. I think of the old acronym JOY, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. David was others-focused, always. Others-focused. Jesus, others, yourself. And that, that is JOY. David also was quick to forgive. And Saul, he was the first king in Israel. He would be called the people's king. Um, he looked kingly. He was a big man. Some people think he was as tall as Goliath. And that he was from the tribe of Benjamin. And they wanted a king like the other nations have. So God allowed them to, 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 to have Saul be their king. Now Saul gets extremely jealous of David after he defeats Goliath and wins victory after victory after victory and people start to love David. He gets jealous. And so he goes, he starts to hunt David down to kill him. He wants to take him out. So he goes from his, his, his best guy to he needed to take him out because he was so insecure about David and how well David was doing. And he's chased David for years. And what's happening here, this verse we're about to read, is... David and his army are in a cave hiding from Saul. It's a big cave. And Saul's army, they're down in the valley looking. And Saul needs to go relieve himself. And so he goes into the cave for some privacy. Now David's guys are seeing this guy come in like, oh my gosh, it's Saul. They're like, David, God has delivered him into your hands. This, I can't believe this. You know, this is a no-brainer. Let's kill him now. This is, this is obviously God's doing, Right? Like, I'll kill him. Let me kill him. No, me. You know, I mean, they want to take him out. They're excited. Put an end to this. It's been like 10 years of being, you know, chased by this guy. And David says, this is God's anointed. God made him king. It's not my job to take him out. That's something God needs to deal with. Now David goes and cuts off a piece of his robe. Then Saul goes back into the camp. Now David comes out, and this is where he... Um, addresses Saul. He says this, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord's because he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, and he's talking about Saul here. That's a term of endearment, obviously. Look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but didn't I kill you? See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. Just think about years and years and years of somebody doing you wrong. And you get a chance for vengeance. And you know that's not the right thing to do, but you want to do it. David was extremely forgiving, and this is an amazing example of that. I was at a funeral recently, and... Um, a son had lost his mom 
It was an older person, but when you lose your mom, age doesn't matter. Um, uh, until about 40, and we're talking, and he was just devastated at losing his mom. And he, he's sharing things, and he was just, uh, everything he would bring up was, was, was sad, you know, uh, because mom was involved in everything. And I said, you know, we, we look at all of life through the lens of this one event sometimes when this type of thing happens, and it, it darkens and saddens each event. You know, we're looking at our whole life through this one event, and we're, we're looking at, at Christmas, and we're looking at childhood, and we're looking at vacations, and everything through this one event of, now mom's not there, and it saddens and darkens each one of those things, and it's a horrible time. So we look at all of life through the lens of this one event, but with time, and, and with prayer, and with, with God's presence and healing, we begin to look at this one event through the lens of, all of life. And it doesn't hurt as much. And those other memories become comforting instead of cruel. And that can take a while. But that will happen if we seek God's comfort in those situations. Now this is kind of what happened with Saul. Saul was insanely jealous because of one event that happened in his life. And he looked at everything in his life through the lens of this one event regarding David. And what happened was, David had defeated Goliath. David was promoted to a military leader. Um, he won battle after battle after battle for Israel and for Saul. And they wrote this song about David because he was doing so well. And the song went something like this. Um, it's biblical. Saul has slain his thousands, David tens of thousands. Saul has slain his thousands. <laughs> David tends up that. Sing with me. Um, <laughs> and so with that, you know, the song went viral. I mean, it, it, you know, before things could go viral, it went viral. <laughs> I mean, it, it's throughout. You read Samuel, it's, it pops up every few chapters, and they sing the song. Saul has sing his thousands. You know, so it's, it's really, it's international, too. It's an international smash. Um, a couple times, David went to other kings and other countries and visited them, and they say, hey, David's here. And they're like, David? Yeah, the David. The David from that song. Saul, the slain of thousands. David, tens of thousands. This is David. You know? So this thing is a smash. Everyone loved the song, apparently, right? Except for one person. Wild guess. Who do you think did not care for that song? Saul. Saul was no mathematician, but um, it's right in the Bible what happened the first time Saul heard the song. He's listening to it, and he likes the first part. Saul has slain his thousands, right? David, tens of thousands. He's like, wait a minute. They attribute to me thousands. They attribute to David tens of thousands. And then he gets very upset, and, and he says, what next? What next? What next? He's, he's going to take the kingdom, you know? And that one event changed the rest of his life. He was obsessed with killing David because of that one event. He couldn't get by that. And it ruined his life. It ruined his relationship with his family. He thought that they were all colluding with David to, to, to make David king over him. Um, so we cannot let, in our lives, one event seek us. We need to look at all things through the lens of all of life. Okay? All of God's goodness. And not let one thing trip us up. And if it takes hard forgiveness, it takes hard forgiveness. We got to do that. When we forgive, Lewis Mead said, we set a prisoner free. And that prisoner is usually ourself. And that could have happened with Saul, right? 
I got a quote on your handout. It says, I am not who you think I am. I am not who I think I am. I am who I think you think I am. Okay? Well, oh, hey, wait a minute. Let's read it again. <laughs> what was that again? Um, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not who I think I am. I am who I think you think I am. Who am I? <laughs> it's like a riddle. All right. No. Why am I sharing this with you? Well, you know, I, I read this quote a while back, and I was like, I, I, I was like you know, I've got to solve this. <laughs> so I'm processing it, and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, yeah, that's kind of true. You know, if, if, if I think you think I'm like a, a funny person, I'll be more funny, you know? If I think you think I'm more of a teacher or a pastoral person, I will just kind of assume uh, that type of approach of a teacher or a pastor. See what I mean? And so you can run that through your own grid, but I found that to be true, which is interesting. And not that I'm a hypocrite. Uh, it's just that life's, life is very complex. Relationships are very complex. We're complex people. Um, and so this is kind of inevitable. So I thought, wow, that's really interesting. And then preparing for this message, you know, I thought about that as us aspiring to be heroes for those around us. If I think you think I'm a hero, I want to be a hero. I want to be a hero for you. And as we leave here today, many people need you to be their hero. They want you to be their hero. They think you're their hero. And we need to apply that to our lives. We're going to share a song with you um, at the end of the service called There Goes My Hero. And it's a simple line that gets me in this song. There goes my hero. Watch him as he goes. There goes my hero. He's ordinary. True heroes are just ordinary people. They're flawed people. They're people like we've been reading about. And we can all aspire to be heroes to those around us, especially those that are younger. You may not feel worthy, you know, but God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. You answer the call, He will equip you to do what it takes to be a hero. You may not feel like a hero, but we need to move into that role for those around us. It will call us up as well, and life will be better for us. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, I know we've got a room full of heroes here today. And we say that humbly. We just want to be the salt of the earth, be the light of the earth, transcend this, this kind of mess that we're in right now by improving things in each and every little way that we possibly can. Help us grow in our faith. Help us move out in faith and, 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 and grow as you, as you honor those faith walks. Help us apply repentance because we all make mistakes. And we don't want those to bog us down. We don't want to carry any grudges. Lord, let, help us be, be, be owners of our relationship with you. May we take care of that. If things creep in, may we fix that. And help us be givers and forgivers. Your word says it's better to give than receive. There's true joy that comes with a giving heart. And let us be forgivers as well. Set ourselves free as prisoners of unforgiveness. We don't need that anymore from this day forward. So we give you our life, Lord. In your mind, we pray. Amen. <laughs>